Wonderful. Good morning. It's great to be back in Yorkshire, the county of world changers and revivalists. Amen. Wow. Wonderful. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, I want to say a big thank you to Jared and the leadership as well for re- releasing or sending the team um, out with me. We went to Slovakia and uh, we had a fantastic time together. Many uh, miracles and salvations and God moved powerfully and uh, uh, the team was absolutely wonderful. So, you know, a big, big thank you um, to everybody who came and those who prayed for us. These are remarkable days we're living in, aren't they? They are remarkable days. And um, just to say this, in in some respects, I I want to share some encouragement this morning from some of the things that God is doing around the UK as well as overseas. We are in our very busy mission season. In one sense, we're always uh, in in mission, always doing missions. Um, I've got eight missions in the UK this year, let alone what's going on overseas. Uh, But we've already done a couple of the missions in England. And I can tell you there is a shift in the spiritual atmosphere in the UK. People are hungry for God. Lives are being changed. Many are coming to Christ. Well, I think even down in Leatherhead, I mean, the mission down in Leatherhead with Gerald Coates, many of you know Gerald. And we did a mission uh, there in Leatherhead, which is actually my old town in terms of uh, where I went to school. And, um, you know, even though, because they're quite a small church at the moment, uh, working with them there, and they are the only evangelical and charismatic church in that town. So it's uh, quite something. It is actually the last town that Wesley preached in before he went to be with the Lord. And so, um, you know, we didn't do night on night on night meetings, which I love to do, you know, in crusades and missions. We're supposed to call them now. It's not PC to call them crusades. But, um, but the fact about it is that, uh, you know, usually when you have that, you get a buildup of night by night by night, more and more people come along as testimonies goes into the community of what Jesus is doing. But um, even without that, you know, we contacted, you can imagine it's in a fairly small town with a church of no more than about 60 people. You know, we, we contacted, ministered to, talked to at least 600 people, of whom 250 either committed their lives to Christ or recommitted their lives to Christ. They're just great. You know, wonderful. They wouldn't let me into my old school. I don't know why that was. <laughs> But, um, you know, however, it was wonderful to meet some of the students come down for lunch uh, down into the town where we were hanging about the streets and, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with people. And I had the personal privilege of leading about 15 of those young guys to the Lord. Just absolutely wonderful. I thought this is amazing what God is doing in St. John's School, Leatherhead, that here are these guys. I mean, honestly, um, they're on a par with Eton and Harrow and those used to play those guys at rugby and all that kind of stuff. And so I can tell you, these young guys, they are... They are fellas who are going to go into the political arena, into the, the law arena, all of that kind of stuff. To see them, at one time, eight of them stand there. Oh, I didn't ask them to do this. They all held their hands, bowed their heads, 16-year-olds, and all eight of them one who gave their lives to Jesus Christ there on the street. It's just amazing stuff going on. But... Um, you know, at the same time as that, we had a wonderful time in Grimsby, not so far away in Grimsby. Twelve churches came together for a mission. We had an awesome time. I remember the first night, it was in a, the Parkway Cinema, right on the seafront of Cleethorpes. has been recently refurbished. And uh, in a, it was very much a centre like this. And on the very first night, there was a, a woman who came forward who was blind in her right eye from a cataract. 
I put my hand on that eye and commanded the cataract dissolve to dissolve, and it did in the name of Jesus. Well, the result of that is then we then go out into the streets the next day, and um, I took about five other guys with me down to the poorest part of Grimsby. We went down this street that's quite infamous, and as we're going down this street there, everything goes on down there, and... Um, there was five or six guys in their 50s and 60s sitting, not too far away from that myself now, but here we go, in the 50s and 60s sitting outside of the marketplace and uh, they were drinking and smoking and whatever. And so I walked up to one of them and I handed him an invitation to the evening meeting. And he looked at me and a bit roughly said, what's all this about then? So I thought I'd go straight for the jugular. I said, this is all about what Jesus Christ is doing in Grimsby, sir. And I saw him take a breath, ready to have a go at me. So I thought, right, I'm going to get right in there. So I just said to him, I said, I can tell you now that last night, I said, a woman came along to the Parkway Cinema who is blinded in her left eye by cataract. And we prayed for her in the name of Jesus. And her eyesight was instantly restored. And he looked at me from, I said, what, in Grimsby? <laughs> I said, yes, sir, in Grimsby. I said, Jesus opened that woman's sight. And then he looked at his mates and he looked around at me and he says, you know what? I'm deaf in my left ear. Totally deaf. I said, we don't have to be. I said, Jesus could heal you. And you don't have to wait till tonight either. I'll pray for you right now on the street. So he looked at me. He said, well, what do you do then? I said, well, I put my hand on your ear. I pray in Jesus' name. God does the rest. He said, all right, give it a go. So I went around there. I put my hand on his ear and commanded the ear to open in the name of Jesus. And then close off his good ear. I go behind him so he can't lip read. And then I start whispering, going quieter and quieter and quieter. He could repeat every word. Then he turns to his mates. He says, I tell you, it's real. I'm hearing, I'm hearing. This is, you know. Well, of course, that followed with a greater miracle because right there I had to say to him, sir, this is a wonderful thing Jesus has done for you. He loves you. But you know what? The greatest miracle of all is to have your sins washed away, to be forgiven, be made a new man from the inside out. That's something that God will give you right now if you ask Him for it. He said, what do I do? Oh, this is fantastic. This is reminiscent of the New Testament. What do I do to be saved? Well, he prayed the prayer, gave his life to Christ. I tell you something, you know, he gave his life to Jesus. I can't tell you the rest. I back off from him. We end up praying for all of his mates and then I step back and I look up the road about 100 metres up the road there's a couple of other guys from our team who've stopped to talk to a Romanian fellow who's about six foot three and as they mention the name of Jesus to him his eyes roll back in his head his arm, hands go up like a, like a lion about to attack and deep voices come out of him saying this is our street and all this kind of stuff so they just thought right we're going to go for the jugular they said in the name of Jesus come out and the guy was thrown back to a wall and dropped on the floor and demons came out of him and then they were, and then a big crowd gathered around. They start sharing Jesus. I thought, wow, this is. I thought, I wonder what the police will say to all this. But here we go, you know. But this is great New Testament stuff. Then a couple of them went over the road into Carpet Right. If you know the Carpet Right shop, they felt led by the Holy Spirit. They find the lady sitting at the desk has broken her arm, and the manager's next to her. They they pray for her. She is instantly healed. They lead them both to Christ. This is what's going on in about half an hour up and down the streets of Grimsby. That's great. So God's doing some amazing stuff. And, and uh, you know, it's wonderful to be out there. People are open and hungry for God. But, you know, really, I've got something very serious on my heart to share with us today. And really, it goes on uh, along a bit of what Jared has been sharing this morning. In many ways, although what is happening through militant Islam is terrifying in one sense, naturally speaking, actually... That's not our main battle. 
Our main battle, that kind of hides, it masks the real battle. The real battle is not with Islam. The real battle is with secular humanism. Yeah. Yeah. I just say to you, that's what's actually behind it all. And that's actually going to be the last big battle. 666 is the number of man. It's the old original sin where man wants to be his own God. We are doing, and if you who have been watching the news will know that the uh, Supreme Court has now passed across all the states of America yesterday, all the, the thing about gay marriage and whatever. But you know, in many ways, it doesn't shock me about homosexuality. That's been around for centuries. Things like the Roman um, Empire was absolutely full of it. But the truth is, when a nation puts things onto their statute books that are anti-God, it's a totally different issue. And the, when you see in the Scripture, you see that God deals with three major groups of people. He deals with the church, He deals with Israel, and He deals with the nations. And you'll see that His, his judgment and His mercy differently expressed in different scenarios. And in many ways, where nations then turn their back on God, particularly a nation that was dedicated to God in its foundations, and then turning that away, really, we really do need to intercede for the United States. But um, I believe with all my heart, the Scripture teaches us that before Christ comes again, there will be a great falling away. After that will come the revealing of the man of sin who will claim to be God. You understand that? He will exalt himself above everything that is called God. And that will pave the way for ultimately the coming of the Lord. In the last 20 years, I mean, we have every right to be excited about what God is doing in our, in our world. In the last 20 years, more people have come to Christ around the world than in the last 2,000 years combined. That's very exciting. On the other side, more people in the last 20 years have been martyred for Christ than in the last 2,000 years of the church. Suffering and glory going side by side. I'm told that in China, that there are certain messages that the Chinese government, as a despotic government, have, there are certain messages they have forbidden the church to preach. Here are some of them. The power of the name of Jesus. Why do you think they want that one knocked out? Miracles come through the power of the name of Jesus. People are saved through the power of the name of Jesus. They have forbidden the church to preach on this subject, the triumphant church. Why do they want that knocked out? Because that puts a certain hope for the future of the church. And when the church has a certain future, she is strong and can endure trials no matter what comes against her because she knows that the outcome is glorious. So they want to remove their hope. And last of all, they want to, they have forbidden them to preach on this subject. This is not one that you hear in the top 10 in Western churches. The glory of suffering. And brothers and sisters, we're going to have to adopt a certain attitude that we recognize that to be identified with Christ is not only to do with the fact that we're new creations in Him, that we have a wonderful new life in Jesus Christ. We identify with the miracle work in God, but we also recognize that in the cross is not only substitution, but there is also suffering. And in following Jesus, that means we have to be willing to die to ourselves. And really, honestly, you cannot be, even if I take this into a lighter context, the context of being a witness for Christ, whether it's in the workplace, 
place, whether it's up and down our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our family. The moment you take a stand for Jesus Christ, you identify yourself with Him and be a witness for Jesus wherever you are. The moment you mention His name, it's as if you disappear and they react to the name of Jesus rather than just to you as a person. And that may, uh, that may involve suffering or reaction to you because of their reaction to Jesus Christ. No Christian can be an effective witness for Christ while they are concerned about what people think about them. The fear of man is a snare. And folks, we've, got to con we've really got to conquer it. And so I really want to talk to you a bit about building spiritual muscle today because we need to. We really need to get strong. I'm not just talking about singing a few hallelujahs and saying a few shandais and being on the floor and having a giggle. I'm not just talking about that. And I'm not knocking that. All of that is great and that's wonderful. But listen, folks, we've got to get stronger than just that. What we are going to face in the, in the years to come that won't be sufficient. So I've just got to say to you, we've got to arm ourselves. Look, if I put it this way, um, my middle son Joshua had his birthday yesterday. And uh, it's wonderful to have our, our sons growing up. I, I love them with all of my heart. I, I long to see them. I want them to grow up as strong young men of God. I am concerned that my influence in their lives will be a good and godly influence. I want to influence them for God with everything that I am because I am conscious and aware of the great influence my father had on me. All of us have got influence. We can use it. It'll be for good or it'll be for bad. But all of us have got influence. We want to make sure it's going to be a good influence. I grew up in a home where I honestly, apart from holidays, I cannot remember a day where my father was not up at about six in the morning getting up to pray and read the Bible. Part of that he used to say to me was that he ran a business as well with 14 officers in South East London, as well as leading a church and having a very sickly wife for seven years. Mom is now healed, thank God. But for seven years, he had to come back early from work, sometimes collect us kids from school, do the cooking, do all kinds of stuff. But alongside that was also having to lead a 300 strong church and uh, that then planted a couple of other churches and alongside that lead all of these businesses. I used to wonder at where he got his strength from. But as I grew up through my teen years and watched him up early in the morning in prayer and in the Word of God every day, I realized quite quickly his source of strength. And so that's something that I want to encourage my boys into. It's something I want to encourage all of us into because I know if you get that area right, everything else will come into order everything else. There are many, many things that take up the time of your pastors that would not take up the time of your pastors if you learned to take more time alone with God. Well, you went firstly to Jesus. Because actually, you know, the reality is our father, I, I was with some young people from Sweden last week, nine-year-olds to 16-year-olds is a broad range. We had a fantastic time with these kids. They all got baptized in the Spirit and they released in prophecy, healing. They took them out in the streets. These kid, nine-year-old kids were leading people to Jesus. It was great. But, you know, on the last session, normally on the last session of a youth camp, it's always a kind of commissioning time. It's a power encounter and all of that. But I actually, we'd had plenty of that already. And so I, I actually said to the, the leaders, I said, look, um, I've got a message on my heart I need to share with these kids. And they said, uh, what's that? I said, well, I know we normally do a kind of real encounter time on the last side, but actually I don't feel to do that tonight. I want to teach these kids how to get the most out of their Bible and how to pray. Yeah. And they said, uh, 
That's just what they need. I said, because if they don't, they'll identify themselves with the world instead of God and they'll go down with the world's values. And we need them to get hold of the kingdom's values. We're not only saved from sin, we're saved out of the world. So, you know, we've got to get hold of this. So um, anyway, so I spent time showing with them. I remember asking them this question. Where is your heavenly father? Well, of course, it went quiet for a bit. And then one brave little boy sticks his hand up and he says, He's in heaven. I said, yes, he is. You're absolutely right. He's in heaven on the throne. Where else is he? Then another little one puts her, puts her hand up. She says, he's in my heart. I said, yes, that's right. He's in your heart, love. That's great. Where else is he? Everywhere. Yes. And where else is he? The place went really quiet. I said, I think I need to help you. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said this. When you pray, go into the secret place where your Father is. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, you look at a pattern of Him getting up early and praying. And then you see miracles, miracles, miracles. Then you see Him Go away into a quiet place out into the wilderness and praying, praying. And then miracles, miracles, miracles. Then he spends all night in prayer and then he chooses his 12 apostles. And then the multitudes, everyone's trying to touch him because power is flowing out from him and healing them all. And really, if we want that, we've got to be prepared to pray all night. We get the power of the Spirit as a gift, but we have to steward it with some effort. So the reality is this, is that Jesus knew the key. And if Jesus Christ, the perfect, blameless Son of God and Son of Man, perfect, spotless, without any sin, in perfect relationship with His Father, if He needed to take that kind of time alone with God, how much more do you and I? Brothers and sisters, it's fine. You know, I, I like, you know, we, we all pray, you know, during the day and driving along in the car. And, you know, sometimes I don't know what you're doing, having a shower, doing the washing up, whatever it is. You like to pray and relax and just talk to the Lord. But sometimes that kind of praying is not enough. And you've got to get alone before God and you need to pray and you need to pray the prayer that is, James 5 says, that is effective and powerful prayer. The Greek says praying into prayer. How many of you have ever prayed, you start praying, you feel a bit tired, you don't really feel much like praying, but anyway, you keep going. But as you keep going, suddenly something breaks and you enter into a whole new realm in prayer. That's what he's talking about. And that's the kind of prayer that the Amplified Bible says makes great power available. We need to be filled with might in our inner man, Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians chapter 3. And if we're going to be strong enough for the days that lie ahead, we've got to grow in the area of prayer. Amen. We really need to in prayer and in the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you along these lines. You know, in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. Let me just see if I can get the... the, uh, the exact reference here. Luke 22 verse 39 to 46 tells us about the, the difference between Jesus's and the disciples' response to pressure. Jesus is, goes into the Garden of Gethsemane with His disciples. It is the most pressured moment of His life on earth. 
He is about to face the cross with all of its agony, with all of its physical pain, but not only all of its physical trauma and pain, but all of its humiliation and all of the separation He will experience for the first time in all eternity. The first time He will experience separation from His Father. The weight of sin, the whole realm of the demonic carried upon His shoulders, sin and sickness and disease upon Him. You know, we can't begin to imagine what Jesus was about to go through. And in that moment, in his own humanity, he falls on his face. There's some things it teaches us here so much. We see that, you know, he comes with his disciples. And then the Bible says he left them and he went about a stone's throw away from them. And he fell on his knees and he cries out in his humanity to his heavenly father. Father, if it be possible, take this cup. What cup? The cup of covenant he was about to cut. For your and I salvation. If it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He finds a place of surrender in the presence of his father in the secret place. After a while, the Bible says that he began to sweat great drops of blood. That's actually a physical condition. I remember reading during the Falklands conflict that there was a time where one of our guys was standing on a frigate and suddenly an Argentine missile went straight past his head, so close, just missed him and some extreme anxiety caused his blood pressure to go through the roof and the capillaries here just broke and his whole face was covered with blood because of such extreme pressure. And that's what Jesus experienced. And so at that moment that he's, he's under all of that. But what's his response to that? The Bible says, being in great agony, he prayed more earnestly. Yeah. But then he gets up and God sends an angel from heaven to strengthen him. But then he, turned, he gets up and he turns and he finds the disciples. And the Bible says he found them sleeping from sorrow. Two different responses to emotions. Jesus prays more earnestly. The disciples go to sleep to cope with it. But you know, there is a time when you in the most intense pressure, you must go into the secret place and gain your strength from God because you don't know the test and the temptation that's coming to you down the road. That's why Jesus said to them twice, why are you still sleeping? Get up and pray lest you enter into temptation. And when suddenly the moment came when the soldiers arrived and they came to arrest him, the disciples all flee under the pressure. They don't have the inner resources to stand up against the fear and all of the pressure that was coming on them. But Jesus stands strong and says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they all fell out under the power of God. And he set his face like flint to go through the cross for you and me. He gained his strength from the presence of the Father. You and I must learn to gain our strength again through these ancient, ancient patterns of life. The ancient disciplines that every man and woman of God who has ever made any mark in this world have found to be the, the irreplaceable patterns of life if you're going to do anything of any worth in the kingdom of God. To pray. And to get in the word, to let the word of Christ dwell in you 
richly. A number of years ago in China, a very famous preacher of the gospel who saw tens of thousands come to Christ and hundreds of new churches planted, many, many wonderful miracles. In his later years, he was surrounded by all the young men from his churches who were in awe of his walk with God and what had been accomplished through his life. And they gathered around him and they said to him, Pastor, God has done so many amazing things through your life and ministry. What is the key to your success, to your walk with God, to the power of His presence you experience? What is the key? Let us know. Now is our time. Now is our generation. We must have what you have. He looked at them and smiled and said, Every day I eat a little meat and many potatoes. They looked at him. <laughs> and then he said, let me explain. Every day, I read many chapters of the Bible, but one or two verses stand out to me by the Holy Spirit. And I write them down on a piece of paper and put it in my pocket. And as I go through the day, I meditate on the inside. I talk them over. I pray them over. I fellowship with the Father over them. This is the source of my strength in God. So, in our last 15, 20 minutes, I want to remind us of the power, of the benefits of a word-filled life. A life that's filled with God, with God's Word, in the hope that I can stir our hearts up and motivate us to get more deeply into the Word of God. To not just go for a few verses here or there. To take a little bit to think about and then by the time you've got to coffee break at 11 o'clock, forgotten everything you just read. I want to put, get some hunger going on the inside of us. Okay, someone contrasts the life of the godly with the life of the ungodly, the life of the wicked. Let me just read it to you. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the mockers. Do you see the slow progression downwards there? Who walks not, who stands not, who sits not. And basically, if you go the way of the ungodly, you know, with your continued choices going the wrong way in life, you're going to move from activity to standing still to eventually being on your backside doing nothing. Knocked out by life. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. You know, the... the there's many different words to define meditation, but one of them is to talk to oneself. Yeah. I was always told that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness, but it's actually in the kingdom the first sign of gladness, isn't it? Here we are. In his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So we see this contrast. It tells us we've got a choice to make. And I want to help you to choose to give Jesus first place in your life. I'm going to have to give these quite quickly. 
But you can take the Scriptures down and look at them in your own time and really feed on them because ultimately only the Word that you get hold of yourself will ultimately change your life. And Nathan and I were having a discussion about this just yesterday. I was just saying to him, you know, an old famous faith preacher called F.F. Bosworth, who they used to take away lorry loads of calipers and crutches and wheelchairs from his meetings under the power of God. He made this statement. He said, you know, the trouble with many Christians is that they feed their body three hot meals a day and their spirit one cold snack a week and they wonder why their faith is weak. (laughs) Well, here's number one. Here are 16 benefits of a life full of the Word of God. By the way, this is not exhaustive. There are many more, but here are just a few. (laughs) Number one, success, freshness, and consistency of life. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. Number two, cleansing from and victory over sin. Psalm 119, verse 9 to 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. Oh Lord, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Amen. 1 John 2 and verse 14 is also relevant with the same statement. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Young men, young women, you want to be strong in God? You want to be an overcomer? Let the Word of God richly abide in your heart. Amen. Number three, direction and guidance in life. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's good. A lamp for the immediate decisions in front of me and a light for my ongoing choices for the rest of my life. Amen. Number four, prosperity that works in any situation. Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Now, before anybody wants to send me a nasty email, and none of you would, I know, but all about, am I a prosperity preacher? Can I just say this to you? I do not, you know, I have people say to me, do you believe in health and wealth? I always ask them, do you believe in sickness and poverty? I believe the gospel to the poor is not that you can stay poor for the rest of your life. So, life and health for the physical body. Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 22. My son, pay attention to my word. Incline your, uh, your ears to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and they are health or medicine to all their flesh. If you don't get an instant miracle, you can get a miracle by the daily medicine of the Word of God in your life. Discernment, number six, discernment. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. The Word is like a sharp two-edged sword. It divides even between soul and spirit. We need to know and we need to have discernment in this life. It comes from a life committed to the Word of God. Number seven, genuine freedom. John 8, verse 31 to 32. If you continue in my Word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Amen. Number eight, restoration to the soul. Psalm 19 and verse seven says, Your Word restores my soul. How many of you have ever been at the point of break, breakdown or burnout and you felt like your emotions and everything? So I've been there, but I tell you what, I found as I have read the Word until I met the Word, He restored my soul. Number nine, wisdom for life. Again, Psalm 19, verse 7, your testimonies 
give wisdom to the simple. Number 10, the Word of God reveals our true condition like a mirror. James 1 verse 21 to 25, that's keeping us in humility and in integrity. The Word of God says that when we, when we look at the Word of God, it's like a mirror. We see where we really stand, where we really are. I was sharing some of this with the men's breakfast that we run back in our, our local town yesterday morning. Just saying to the guys, you know, you, the statistics tell us only 15% of men struggle with self-image, self-worth. Ego is fairly well developed in most guys. <laughs> 85% of women struggle with self-image. So, the thing with guys is this. It's sometimes because we've got an inflated view of ourselves. We need to look into the mirror. You see, God's standard is not us in comparison with Joe Bloggs. It's us in comparison with Jesus Christ. And so it helps us to locate where we really are on the way to where we're going so that we can make the changes that we need. James chapter one. And it teaches us to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Number 11, we know it well. The word of God gives us faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Basically, little word, little faith. Some word, some faith. Much word, much faith. Amen. Little prayer, little power. Some prayer, some power. Much prayer, much power. Let's get hold of it. Number 12. The Word of God will make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.15. Number 13. It will give you sound teaching, godly correction. Thank God for correction. My goodness, we need correction. I need correction. I thank God for correction. The Bible says he who hates correction is a fool. Don't be a fool. Embrace correction and grow. Practical instruction for right living so that we can be complete and whole and thoroughly equipped for every good work. My goodness, 2 Timothy 3.16. That tells me one thing. You can throw away 101 Christian books. Just give me the Bible. I'm a happy man. Number 14, the nature of God gets imparted to us through the promises of God. 1 Peter 1, 23. Number 15, the assurance that every promise of God is personally watched over by God Himself and He will see to it that it comes to pass in our lives. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 and Jeremiah 1, 12. Last of all, number 16, the Word of God when received into our heart. The Word of the truth of the Gospel brings us new birth into a living hope. Christians are people who live with a certain hope of the future. Don Double said to me, he's now in his 80s, so I imagine it's not going to be too far away. You never know. He might go to 120. But he said to me years ago when he was training me, when you hear, John, that Don Double has gone to glory, don't mourn for me. I will be rejoicing in heaven. But arrange from the funeral parlour for my coffin to be put into the centre of St. Austell High Street and guests stand on top of it and to all the passers-by declare, if you were to die tonight, where will you spend eternity? 
The Word of God gives us a living hope. We know where we're going. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has gone ahead of us to make the way. The Scriptures are to be read, declared, meditated on and obeyed. But above all, they're to lead us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one of whom they testify. He is the living Word. Read His Word relationally. Invite Him into your time with the Word. Pray in the Spirit before you read the Word and invite the Holy Spirit, your great teacher, to open the Word to you. He will lead you into all truth and His Word is truth. Fellowship with Him in it. Sometimes it's helpful to ask yourself some questions to get your mind to focus on the things of the Spirit. Is there a promise to claim here in this passage? Is there a sin to avoid or even to confess? Is there a promise to claim, a command to obey, an example to follow? What does this passage tell me about God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? About man, about the world, about the devil. The Word of God is truth. And if we want to build our lives on a solid and firm foundation, we have to build it on truth and the Word of God is truth. Your Father is waiting for you in the secret place. He wants to meet with you. I want to close by quoting this scripture that tells us of the example of Jesus Christ. Multitudes came together to hear Him and to be healed by Him of their diseases. So He Himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So, friends, brothers, sisters, let's be men and women of the Word of God, men and women of the Spirit of God. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians 3, he makes this comment to them. He speaks to them as a church that got really all concerned about whether Jesus had already come again or not. And some people have been sowing some wild ideas. And he wrote to them to bring some correction to those errors, bring them back into line with truth. But he does say this at the end of 2 Thessalonians. He says, there's going to come a day when people will become prone to a great deception because in fact, God will hand them over to it because they failed to receive the love of the truth. Do you know some of the things that we're hearing today around the world? I said to you earlier about the issues we're facing with gay marriage. May I just close with this scripture? I didn't intend to do this and I know our time is nearly up. We're really tight here. But let me just say this to you. In Jude, Jude wrote this. Said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for the condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, 
He's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The fact that we hear what we hear from the world does not surprise me. But if you ever want to get some action on Facebook or Twitter or some social media thing, from other Christians even, just put a straightforward comment on God's displeasure over the issue of homosexuality. And it's amazing what comes out of the woodwork. God loves all people but he hates sin. Jesus did not come to save us in our sins. He came to save us from them. What salvation is meaningless.